Fun Belt Podcast. Fun Belt Podcast. Fun Belt Podcast. Fun Belt Podcast. It's just a, a great conference that is at a at a point right now where they're I think clearly the best group of five conference in the country. The state of Sun Belt football is the strongest in our history, uh, and we got to continue to showcase uh, what our league is about. This league is insane. Yeah, it might be like one of those eight wonders of the world. <laughs> and you can see just what a great group of five conference it really is. It, it's a big deal. Boy, life is looking pretty good in the Sun Belt these days. Everybody, welcome back to the Fun Belt Podcast. My name's Jeremy Harper from HowRazor.com. His name is Dusty Thibodeau from the Warhawk Report. Missing in action for just a moment is Shane Metlin from, uh, what's that newspaper? Daily News Record. The Daily News Record. <laughs> One day I'll remember that. Shane's not here right now, but he'll join us a little later. What a messed up week in the Sun Belt that we have to recap, Thibodeau. I mean, it was just a topsy-turvy, upside down, you could not predict the outcome type of week. We saw the curse, top 25 curse, raise its head once again. We saw another undefeated team go down. We saw teams that shouldn't win, win. What the hell happened in the Sun Belt, Dusty? It was a, it was a wild, wild ride. And, and I think that we actually saw that maybe the Sunbelt West is the better division than the Sunbelt East. You know what? I even, I even threw that, that idea up in the sky because, quite frankly, we've seen some pretty good upsets and near upsets of Sunbelt East teams by the Sunbelt West, including Texas State over Appalachian State, including the Cajuns over Marshall. We had Troy needed the, the, the Appalachian State needed a, a, a Hail Mary to beat Troy. South Alabama looking super stout. Those guys, they, they, they seem to find ways to get the job done. I'm beginning to think the two best teams in the Sun Belt right now might be Troy and South Bama. I agree. And they are on a Thursday night collision course this week. I think that is your semifinal for the Sunbelt Conference Championship. The winner of that will lead the West, and then they got to be ready to go and hopefully ready to host. Yeah, well, you know, if it's not the the sort of de facto championship game, it definitely is the Sunbelt game of the week because that is just going to be a great game. On a Thursday night, you know, I, I, I wrote in one of my articles that it used to be just kind of an amusing rivalry that would happen sometime during the season the battle of the belt. Now it has real ramifications. I mean, true ironclad ramifications for the Sun Belt. If you're not watching that game on Thursday night, uh, then you're not, you're not citizen of the Sun Belt. You might as well put, put in your papers and move to some other conference. And, and, and you also get a little preview, a little appetizer on Wednesday night, Georgia state traveling to Boone. That is a sneaky rivalry because if one if there's one school that Appalachian State seems to have complete disdain for, it's Georgia State. So uh, and that's going to be a good game in, in a way that that Appalachian State is just completely. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't want to say demoralized. Sean Clark doesn't seem like a guy who gets demoralized. Do you think he gets demoralized? 
I think he's felt a little bit of pressure that, you know, he has this golden team and, and they have definitely not lived up to the hype and the expectations for this year. Yeah. Yeah. You got, you got Chase Bryce who sort of implied he came back to win a championship. And now that seems to be, you know, in a, in a, in a state of flux, but we shouldn't be talking. We shouldn't be going ahead of second and, and, and short Thibodeau. We need to be talking about what happened this or this last week. And one of the things that happened last week was ULM versus Troy, which I thought, no, I'm sorry. ULM versus uh, who'd you guys play? Uh, South Alabama. Yes, sorry. God. I, I, I thought you were just trolling the the Troy South Alabama because I don't know if you've seen it on Twitter or not, but I mean, the, there's a lot of hate this week. If you got hate in your heart, let it out, and it is all out on Twitter for oh, South yeah. Troy Hate Week. It's been like that for a while, but that ULM game versus South Alabama was quite a game. The, uh, it, 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 it told me. Here's what it told me about ULM. ULM might be the most dangerous, not very good team in the Sun Belt. I mean, nobody expects ULM to come out and win the West, but ULM is one of those teams that's going to play hard every time because I think it has that coach that the, the team really believes in. Tell me if I'm wrong, but Bowden is somebody that the players believe in. Am I right? Without a doubt. But, and they but would- I, I think until they can fix a couple of roster issues and it's just going to take another recruiting cycle yeah. and, and maybe some portal guys. But when you only have 67 yards rushing and you're pretty much one dimensional of pass, 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 you're not going to win those close games. No, no, the, the defense isn't quite there for ULM for that, but they will be a team that just doesn't quit. And they are a team that I think is, is, sort of in the near future of the Sun Belt. I think we're going to see a ULM in the next couple of years that really starts the challenge for that West Western uh, title. One team that I don't know is ready yet challenge for the Western title are the Cajuns who beat Marshall. Uh, did you see any of that game, Tibbs? I did, and, and the lightning delay. <laughs> That's right, it was delayed. I'm seeing a team that still does – guess who's the worst rushing team? In the Sun Belt, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna guess the Cajuns just because you're leading into it. It's the Cajuns. Would you have believed that coming into the season, the Cajuns with its very or with its recent and rather mid level history of running the ball, a team that is known for running the ball, just can't seem to get together. Now, Chris Smith was out uh, last week against Marshall, has a hamstring injury, maybe it out against the Red Wolves this season. That's that's a factor. But even Chris Smith hasn't really done a whole lot. So you just got to be wondering what is going on in Lafayette right now that the signature things that used to define the Cajuns just aren't there, except for maybe a really good pass rush, which they still continue to have. It's all about that offensive line. You look at the guys that transferred out to Florida following Napier there. Yeah. Max Johnson that, that declared early for the draft now starting for the Jets. I mean, they lost a lot on that offensive line as well. We, we look at the key positions, but the guys in the trenches are, are just as important. And, yeah. and without those guys, it doesn't matter how good your running back is, how good your quarterback is, you're not going to have the time or the holes to move the ball down the field. Yeah, I think at least one of those guys you mentioned was a four-star guy. So uh, I, you just don't lose that type of talent and think that you're just going to keep on competing. I think a lot of people in the media thought that's what was going to happen, that the Cajuns were the champs 
and they're going to continue playing championship football. But I think a lot of us in the know knew that there was just too much. But Mike, another question to you concerning that game is, is Marshall officially cooked? Even if they get Ali back. Well, and, and there was some news that came out about Ali that maybe it was a actual medical issue and not a personal issue as to why he's missed a lot of the season with no real time frame of when he could be coming back. I Uh-oh. think Kalan Laburn has definitely filled the shoes 120 yards this past week against the Cajuns. So I, I think the running game's there. But then you got to look also, Henry uh, Columbia went down in that game yeah. against the Cajuns. How is he going to rebound moving forward this season? So there's a lot more questions about this herd team than, than we really have answers for. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I don't think, I think coming into the season, I, I thought the herd were kind of a, a question mark. I, I knew they had played, they played great football in the recent past. Uh, they play incredible games against Appalachian state. That's what I knew them from, but there was some issues as to, did they have enough guys coming back? And I think after that Notre Dame game, I think we saw all the gas being used uh, for uh, for the Thunder and Herd, which is too bad because I really was hoping that this this upcoming Herd versus uh, 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 JMU game was going to be this great game, but it doesn't look like it's going to be. It looks like it's going to be a get well game for James Madden, Madison. And speaking of Jimmy Mads, I believe I, I listen. I don't toot my home own horn often about predictions because all my predictions usually come out wrong but I had the sense and and you said Shane too had the sense that if you can pass on James Madison if you can find a way to defend the quarterback long enough for your quarterback to throw then you have a good shot at beating James Madison and when the hottest throwing team in the Sun Belt the Georgia Southern Eagles oh my god how is that possible if, when you come into Jonesboro and have to face that, well, James Madison found out uh, they have a, a chink in their armor. What do you think, Tibbs? What's your analysis? Kyle Ventries is legit. Yeah. And, and, and his stat line from this past week in that game against James Madison, 38 completions, 64 attempts, <laughs> five seventy-eight yards, four touchdowns, one pick. Amazing. And, and those are not numbers that I would have ever thought I would see out of Georgia Southern, maybe against them, but not for them. Three receivers over 100 yards with Amir Jones going for 164 yards and two touchdowns. I don't know. I, I Even watching that game, I didn't know how to react to that, seeing – the Eagles just going vertical. And then also, did you not see in the pregame, they have one of the cool traditions where they have the, the Eagle that flies around the stadium to hype up the crowd. Yeah. Dude left. He was gone. I saw that on the social that he had taken off out of the stadium and that there were people in the parking lot trying to get him back. Is he, did he ever come back? Was I never heard back? an update. I never heard an update. I just know that when, when, when I was writing up our votes for the fun belt five, Trying to shorten it up. <laughs> I made a good old Yoda reference there of should lose Eagle more often. And, and I appreciate Georgia Southern fans for, uh, you know, catching that. <laughs> well, I'm sure they were, they took it with their usual grace and aplomb too, knowing Georgia Southern fans. But you know what, to me, what's incredible about that Georgia Southern turnaround is it took one off season 
to go from funky triple option, although they would tell you, oh, it's not a real triple option, whatever, it was a triple option. They went from funky triple option to full out air raid passing in, in, in one off season and did it successfully. I thought it would take them years, literally three or four years to get the personnel to get that done right. Clay Helton did it in an off season, Tibbs. Yeah, How did I, he do I, it? I agree. I would have thought just the offensive line alone of swapping that out from a straight run block to being able to pass block would have, would have been at least a two-year project, at least. Yeah. I don't know if it's portal guys, him just working some good old uh, uh, ditch water magic from Eagle <laughs> Creek. Could be beautiful I, Eagle Creek. I don't know what it is, but he's got it going. And, and you know, it might be a little premature to start saying this, but you got to wonder how long his his stay is going to be in Statesboro if he can show that he has this kind of turnaround power for a program. And isn't that why you go to Georgia Southern after you go, come from USC? Don't you just sort of step back and show, hey, listen, I still got the coaching cred. Look what I did to Georgia Southern. Would Georgia Southern even care if they were to lose Clay Hilton? Of course, it always hurts when a coach leaves, but you can't expect them to stay forever, right? Especially if he's going to make this kind of magic turnaround. And quite frankly, Georgia Southern's in the race for the East. I mean, the way the East is right now, Georgia Southern could easily be the guys that come up on top. Yeah, Georgia Southern's sitting at one and two in the conference, tied for fifth place yeah. in the East right now, but definitely not out of the running. Old Dominion sitting atop of the East there at 2-0, Coastal Carolina 3-1, Jimmy Mad at 3-1. Everyone else, it's a mesh. Hey, I'm glad you mentioned the Old Dominion because they put down a beat-ass whooping on Coastal Carolina, something that I know I didn't expect. Old Dominion came into that game averaging about 21 points per game. Ended up with like 40 points. And that's crazy. They, they literally ran all over the shots. Blake Wilson, 259 yards, three touchdowns, including a 67 yard. I don't, I don't know where that came from. I mean, I know that they did not have uh, Zach Koontz, the tight end. Allie Jennings was kind of held in check. He, he did have six receptions and, and one touchdown but was largely held in check. It, it was literally a Blake Watson show as the Monarchs went into Coastal Carolina and came out with that huge win. So another game that if you weren't emotionally vested in it, Tibbs, was a pretty exciting game. And that was Southern Miss versus Arkansas State, which – for the first three quarters, Arkansas State had handedly. They, I mean, there's something about Southern Miss. They, they just seem like a team that really have no offensive identity. They were scrolling through quarterbacks. They couldn't find leadership. Uh, only Frank Gore and, and, and their, one of their receivers, Brownlee, who's actually a really good receiver, uh, were the only two really offensive playmakers. Gore kept getting hurt. So it looked like Arkansas State was going to cruise. And then the fourth quarter happened. Red Wolves up by 12, surrender the lead, and then surrender the game. It was just an incredible blow-up, and it's become a theme in Jonesboro and Butch Jones, uh, fourth-quarter meltdowns. 
And after the game, Butch Jones was saying, yeah, well, you know, the meltdown actually occurs a lot earlier. You know, when you, you, you got third uh, in the third quarter, Arkansas State didn't score. And uh, or at least they, they had opportunities to score more. They didn't. I think they scored seven points. But it, the point was, is that Arkansas State's just having trouble closing out games. And this is the third time they've come into the fourth quarter with a lead, only to see that lead slip away. Meanwhile, Will Hall gets the big win at home. It's his first Sun Belt win. They were very excited, and they should have been. But it was tough to watch, Tibbs. I don't know if you saw any of it, but it was tough. Remember when we were talking about the ULM game, and I said, if you don't run the ball, you're not going to win? Yeah. Arkansas State, 50 yards rushing, you're not going to win the game. Hey, did you know that uh, Arkansas State had negative four yards rushing at halftime? <laughs> and, and, and what was the final? Uh, the final was 20 to 19. Yeah. So, yes, you've got to run the ball in this league. That's the key. And Arkansas State still has trouble doing that. Another, How did James Blackman look? He looked good. Here, here's the thing. In fact, at one point, he, he was running through a string where he didn't have any consecutive incompletions. So for, for like almost the entire game, he never threw more than one uh, incompletion in a row. Does that make sense? Like he, would, he never had two in a row. So he was making all these passes, and it was fine. It was great, but he was also having to run from for his life a lot. Yeah, the Southern Miss off a defensive line, which isn't a defensive line you call home about, uh, looked like champions against Arkansas State. So uh, there's still a lot of rebuild to be done in Jonesboro. Southern Miss, probably, uh, quite frankly, it's their mirror teams. They're about in the same boat. They both need to – find, uh, you know, new, get new recruiting, get new personnel in there, build up to what the new Sun Belt is. Uh, it was an interesting game if you weren't involved in it in any emotional way. But uh, Arkansas State needs to find a way to get it done. I tell you who did get it done, though, was Troy versus Texas State. Tell me you didn't think Texas State wasn't going to come away with that win. There's another boobcat moment. <laughs> And I hate to say that knowing that our guest coming up is the Don, Don Coriel of Texas State Athletic Director there. I hate to say it, but, but you know, it was a boobcat moment. They, they, they had the game. They yeah. had the game. And then what happened? 14-10 going into the fourth quarter yeah. and just unable to stop the, the passing attack there of Doge for Troy. Yeah. You know, Doge maybe finally settling in. I, I know Gunnar Watson, what did Gunnar Watson not finish? He started the game, right? He started the game and then uh, had to leave. Oh, so Gunnar's still a little hurt. I don't think he's 100%. All right. Okay. All right. I guess we'll see about that coming in the future. I know that that Doge is somebody they're really high on. That's why they brought him in. So we'll see what, what that holds for Troy. I was impressed with Troy's defense, and but more impressed that Texas State's defense is doing so well. Is Texas State defense a sneaky sort of uh, a unit that can actually shape the Sun Belt West in some way? I think they're serviceable right now. I think they're still missing a couple players that could put them over the top. You know, yeah. they did have three sacks of Troy 
this past week and the offensive line for Texas State unable or did not surrender a sack, I should say. I think there's I think the, uh, saying they're sneaky good is probably a good analogy of, of saying that of that Texas State. Not a team that I would necessarily say that they have great defense. I, yeah. I always think of them more as an offense, and, and they just really outscore their opponents. But, you know, able to have a serviceable defense to, to keep teams in check. Well, that's absolutely what they're going to need to compete. But we know what? I bet we can learn more in just a few seconds. So, Jeremy, a little over a year ago, there was a big change in San Marcos. Yeah. Everyone was nervous. They didn't know what was going to happen when the Don was taking over your beloved Bobcats. And, and you know what? It kind of needed a takeover, right? And Bobcats needed some fresh leadership, some fresh perspective. They got their guy. And so far, it seems like it's working. I mean, they're dominating across the board. I think everywhere but football, they've had at least part of a trophy in their case, or at least yeah. atop the standings. Yeah, no kidding. They, we've seen Bobcats... Uh, excel in baseball we've seen bobcats excel in basketball we've seen them right now leading the standings in women's soccer and volleyball and volleyball and really the last piece of that puzzle has been football but this season we've seen a bit of a shift you think we could talk to him about it i think we should talk to coach spav's boss and that is is the Don, Don Coriel, joins us on Fun Belt Podcast. Welcome in there, Don. Appreciate you guys having me. I, I love the Don. <laughs> I, I like it, dude. So that's Brent Freeman's fault. That's where you That's where you got this nickname from, huh? Uh, I don't want to throw him under the bus, but yeah. Okay, well, good, because I just did. And, you know, I'm going to see him here. He's got a radio show that starts in about 30 minutes. I'm about to hook up with him. So he and I might have a little chat, but I like the Don. I'm game for it. Oh, don't mention us. Oh, my God. We owe him money. <laughs> First of all, I, I, I got to ask you, this year has been exciting for Bobcats. You, you've had a brand new president, Kelly Davis, come in riding the Harley. You've had Boko riding the Harley. When's your week? You know, I think my week is probably coming up here pretty soon. I got that question today because I'll tell you, I've had a pretty fun afternoon. Uh, we spent some time out of the football stadium today meeting our next rider. And so then we started, we're trying to do like kind of surprise celebrity type riders. And uh, we met our rider for this weekend about an hour ago. And I'm trying to figure out our last two games. And I think I've got a really good one for our November 19th game. But that last game is in question. So it might be me. We'll find out. Wait and see, I guess. Just know that I, I did talk to President Dampouse after his ride. And he said he was comfortable on the bike, but he was always fearful of that, that viral moment of just in case. Well, hey, we almost had it last game. Ty Harrington, our baseball coach, who's awesome, our former baseball coach, came out and rode. Crowd loved it. And he's almost at the finish line. And our cheerleader, who runs our big flag, cut in front of him at the very last moment. And there was a split second where Ty was riding, basically draped in our flag. So we all collectively held our breath. But he made it out of there like a professional that he is. And everything went smooth. But, no, we're uh, we're keenly aware of the viral moment. Hopefully we don't have one. It hasn't been a, a viral moment, though, the past year that you've been leading the Bobcats. You were you were the number two guy under under the previous administration, now obviously the top guy. What's been the, the big learning curve or the big thing that you've had to really kind of maybe you weren't expecting in, in year one? Oh, man, I, I'd say probably for me um, – 
maybe get pulled away, you know, time management with stuff that I maybe wasn't quite as involved with the first time around, you know, uh, you know, a lot of Sunbelt meetings, um, you know, that, that in my previous position, I wasn't a part of a little bit more travel. Um, a lot of time, uh, I sit on our president's cabinet here. And so a lot of time, you know, spent with, uh, with president's cabinet. So, uh, for, for me, probably just, um, the time management of it, because I do try to go to, from an athletic standpoint, almost everything we have, right. You know, um, I want to be visible. I want to be out there. I want to support. And so, uh, so some of that time management was probably the, the biggest challenge for me. Do you feel the pressure knowing that, you know, the Bobcats have been so solid across the board, really in every sport yeah. that, that you don't want to be the guy that, that kind of takes it all down. You're like, you know, you, you want to keep that momentum going. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if I'd say I feel pressure, but uh, I realize what the expectations are here, right? Um, we've got to continue to improve in, in those sports that are doing really well right now. And, and you know, you touched on football. Uh, we're starting to show some glimpses here, right? And uh, I think, uh, you know, that if there's pressure, in my opinion, it's, hey, um, what are we doing to make sure, you know, we're, we're putting our, our football coach and our student athletes and our program in that best, best possible position to succeed? So, um, for me, uh, it, it's it's not really pressure. It's more about just kind of understanding what those expectations are, knowing that we want to continue to win the Boobas Cup each year, um, knowing that we want to win it with a really strong football program is also really important to me. So, Dan, you know, the the, the latest round of Sunbelt expansion uh, brought or brought forth sort of a, a new theme for the Sunbelt, and that theme was rivalry. And it with the new ones coming in, Southern Miss, uh, Marshall, James Madison, Old Dominion, everybody seemed to have a little bit of built-in rivalry with it. But two programs that were kind of left out of that was Arkansas State and Texas State. Is it time, Dan, to have this heated, hated, burning hot rivalry between Texas State and Arkansas State? I mean, <laughs> I'll go with heated and burning hot. I don't know about hated. But I'll go with heat and burning hot. You know, I kind of, I, I, I kind of laugh. You know, you know, Kelly's obviously our, our president here, and Lane's our quarterback, and Lincoln Perry's our running back, and so, um, you know, we've got some strong Arkansas Arkansas State ties within our program now. Um, but yeah, you know, there we don't really have that natural rivalry. It'd be nice to form it with somebody in the league. Um, in Arkansas State's a, a great opportunity for that. You know, they're really good in everything as well, and so. Um, if, if we want to try to try to stoke that fire a little bit, I'm all for it. And, and we don't mind uh, having those same conversations with ULM and in Louisiana as well, Dusty. All right. What, Dan, I, I have a proposal and I, it's a little bit out of the box and it's OK if we say no. But how about when Texas State and Arkansas State meet up this? I guess I think we're meeting up in San Marcos. How about we stage a fist fight between you and me? No real blows landed, just stuntman work. Like we just throw some punches, we roll out of a window, but we really make this seem like there's this big battle between us. What do you well, think? Can we do that? I would probably embarrass myself, but I'm game for embarrassing myself. It's gonna, it's gonna maybe help draw a crowd. So yeah, let's let's do it. Listen, I'll go ahead. I'll I'll take some cash out of the petty cash. We'll uh, hire a stunt coordinator, and we'll make it look really good. It, it, let's do it. Or, or you know, maybe Arkansas State brings their mascot. We have the mascot <laughs> to do this. Our mascot's pretty good at that stuff. He had some fun at JMU, which I think was all over the uh, all over the internet. So, uh, 
So yeah, uh, we'll figure something out. We'll do something. Inter- if you just want entertaining, I can handle entertaining. We'll come up with something. You know, quite frankly, it'd probably be better to have the mascots be our proxies for this because I don't know about you, Dan. I'm getting a little too old for fisticuffs. I'm much so. too old. I'm much too old for almost anything. I just like that he's trying to stoke the the rivalry even more by calling him Dan instead of Don. Well, oh my I, God, I, I, I was going to say that what? I'm now the Dan. I just, you know, this is my first time on the show. I didn't want to seem rude. I, I'll no. go with Dan or the Don. I will answer questions to any name you call me. You, well, this might be the reason why we have to fight. I just keep forgetting. <laughs> the name. That's it right there. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> you embarrassed me in front of the family. <laughs> So, Don, getting back the task at hand here, definitely one of the big areas or, or one of the two big sports that, that Texas State's really been dominant in, men's basketball. Yeah, been great. What's that relationship been like with, with TJ as he has really built that program into a machine? You know, it's been, it's been fun to watch him develop uh, as, a, as a head coach, as a person, as a leader. Um, he's outstanding. You know, he's, he's so thoughtful and deliberate. And everything he does, um, it's kind of fun to watch him in action. Uh, but he's he's just done he's done a fabulous job for us. Obviously, you know, two two conference championships in a row. Um, not that preseason polls mean anything, but you know, we were just picked high in our preseason poll, which is nice to be recognized. Um, you know, he's he's done a great job of uh, kind of continuing uh, what I consider to be really kind of like a defensive minded. Um, culture uh, with our team approach while sprinkling in, um, you know, some, some different types of offense. But uh, he's been outstanding. And, and you know, I, I think we got uh, I think we got the players again to, to make another run. And you're an old basketball guy. I mean, you, you, were, you, were, a, you were a Cardinal there at Lamar. Yeah. Do, do you still uh, say, hey, TJ, I, I got a little left in me. I, I can get out there. Man, I would love to try to get out there and play a little bit. I, I Before I had this job, I was playing pretty consistently a couple times a week, but I haven't played in probably two years. And uh, you could probably, you know, you could probably see that if you see me in person. I got a, got a nice little uh, nice little chin brewing here, you know, a little double chin. I got a nice little gut that's, that's starting to show. Um, so I got to figure out something to do. But uh, TJ's doing just fine with the guys he has right now. I don't think he needs an old man's help, but uh, being an old basketball guy, I, I will say this: it's uh, it's a lot of fun to be a part of a program like TJ's and our in our men's basketball team. You know, when you're winning like that, they've had so much success, and, and to to be a small, small part of that, um, you know, it's it's a privilege for me, and I really enjoy it. And then, of course, the other sport, baseball. Yeah. What yeah. what what's it going to take for the Bobcats to actually get to host a regional, and then if not, host a super regional? And, you know, we, we were pretty close, right? You know, if we could have hung on at Stanford, um, we would have had uh, – we would have had that that regional here, the uh, that super regional the uh, the next week. And, uh, you know, we were prepared for it. And we are going to bring in some additional stands and we had some fun stuff that we were going to do. But, um, you know, I think uh, I think he's, he, he's put together another really good schedule, um, you know, to make sure that we've got that high uh, – that high RPI, that high net ranking that, uh, that we may need to be considered. So – um, if we can take care of business, I'd like to think that, you know, we could be in that discussion again of, of maybe hosting. But uh, but last year was uh, historical for us. Right. And uh, the farthest that we've advanced in a regional. And um, again, you know, we lost some really key players, but we got a really, really solid group of players back. And uh, similar to basketball, you know, from, from what I'm seeing and, and from conversations with Coach Trout, 
through he and his staff were unbelievable. Um, you know, I, I think we're going to have another good shot at having a really good season. So I'd like to think that, um, you know, we've, we've started to, to get these things figured out and that, uh, you know, we're not going to go too far backwards. You know, every now and then you got to reload. I think everybody understands that. But um, but I think we've got some things in place that are going to help us uh, consistently challenge for, for a lot of those championships. So, Dan, uh, some bigger picture Sunbelt things. I know that as a, as the athletic director, you're involved in some top secret meetings with Commissioner Gill trying to shape the new Sunbelt. Are we finished? Is this the is 14 where we're where we stand or are we going to get bigger? Well, I, I, I can't I can't comment on that. That's top secret information that only. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, but I can tell you, uh, like 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 you all have been in, in our fan base and all the other teams in the league. I don't think we could be more um, pleased or excited about those teams that we just recently added. Um, that's been so cool to see. Right. Uh, great brands, great support, great tradition for those schools. Um, you know, it's it's a. Uh, it's going to be more of a challenge. I tell our coaches that, you know, with these teams that have come in, uh, we got to we got to pick up our game, right? We got to step it up if we're going to continue to uh, to try to win this Boobers Cup. But uh, I love the teams that we added, and uh, I think it's great for the league. It's it's great for the brand, and you've already seen the impact, you know, in, in a lot of these sports already with these new teams. Well, speaking of stepping up and uh, and improving the brand, I think the Sun Belt West was considered sort of the, the weak part of, at least in terms of football, the weak part of the conference. But we've seen some pretty big wins over the East, including Texas State over Appalachian State. Do you feel like maybe the Sunbelt West was undersold a little bit or underappreciated? Uh, you know, I, I, I don't know if I'd say we're undersold or underappreciated. I would say in our case with Texas State, you know, uh, it's great to see us make that kind of progress, right? I mean, that was a really big win for us a couple of weeks ago in front of a great crowd. Um, I was so happy for our fans that got to experience that. Um, we've had some really good crowds in, in the past and have sold out our stadium several times, but um, haven't been able to pull off a victory in those uh, those instances. So we had the seventh largest crowd, played a really good game. Coach Pavel called an awesome game. Our players were great. Um, and so from our standpoint, uh, if, if people overlook us, that, that's, that's okay with us, right? Um, you know, we'll, we'll approach it a little bit differently. We don't mind approaching things as an underdog in football. We've been doing that for, for a while now, and, and hopefully we're going to, you know, change that a little bit. But I like what we saw a couple of weeks ago. I thought we played really tough against Troy this past weekend, disappointed we didn't get the win. Yep. Um, but, uh, but have a, you know, have a good opportunity this week against, uh, against a really good Southern Miss team. So, Don, what's next for for Texas State? What I mean, I love going to San Marcos. I keep trying to get Jeremy to go there. He's got to <laughs> be able to hit the strip. Uh, I can't downtown. go to San Marcos. They're my enemy. They're my 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 big. <laughs> I'm wanted there. I'm, hey, you are big on this rivalry thing, aren't you? I like it. I'm, I'm just trying to make it happen. I'm going to change. I'm going to change your mind about San Marcos. Instead of you and I fighting, what's going to happen is we'll have a tube race. All right, I'm going to throw you on an inner tube. We're going to okay. get. It. We're going to start here at Sewell Park, and we'll float down to uh, Ivar's Pub, and uh, the uh, the loser has to buy the first round. So that's what, that's what we'll do, Jeremy. When you're off the river, you're going to wish you went to school here, and you're going to love the Bobcats. Uh, I am going to take that challenge. <laughs> I love it. 
But you know what? We play in November, Don. I don't know. That's the beautiful thing about San Marcos. It doesn't matter. I floated the river on New Year's Day here, you know, a decade. So, uh, hey, November, you might get 80 degrees here. You're fine. Okay, okay. I'll prepare myself then. (laughs) Perfect. To answer your question, you know, we're working on kind of all aspects of stuff. Um, You know, one of our, our big priorities, obviously, continue to support our football program. In, in uh, you know, try to put a lot of resources and effort into that to to continue to improve. Working on some facility stuff, specifically football right now, um, with the big expansion of our, our south end zone complex, uh, which we're calling our football performance center. Um, it's going to have a new weight room, new athletic training room, um, new coaches' offices, some new hospitality things. Um, so, so right now, uh, a lot of focus on football um, in the big picture. And then obviously, you know, we're, we're starting basketball right now, right? And we're constantly working on like engagement, right? Trying to get more people to uh, to our athletic events. That's one of the, the bigger challenges here is, is uh, making sure that, you know, we're putting uh, putting a great product out there um, and, and then having the the fans that get behind it, right, and, and support it. So uh, we're always working on engagement, trying to get, uh, get more people involved. Don, we thank you so much for joining us and always look forward to trips to San Marcos. I want to, I'm jealous. I want to float the river and have some some Bobcat brew at the end of it. Hey, that, hey, just let me know, fellas. Next time you guys are here, look me up. Absolutely. And we'll get this heated rivalry started off right with beer. We'll see what we can do. I like it. <laughs> so, Jeremy, we, we, we talked about last week's games. Yeah. And, and we sung the praises there of Kyle Ventries with, with his did. big game. But but if you look at the stats, or, uh-huh. or, or if if I if I asked you, who's leading the Sun Belt in passing team wise? Who would you say? Oh, you know, probably somebody like Coastal, maybe, or uh, let's see, not who's in top another? five. Yeah, who else is maybe a good passing team? You know, Troy has been a good passing team. I'd say uh, maybe Troy. Number two. You know, uh, you know I don't. In the past, Arkansas State has, but maybe not this year. Uh, you know, the one team that I wouldn't think would be leading and passing would probably be Georgia Southern because all they do is run. That is correct. However, 2022 yeah. has seen the quarterback at Georgia Southern do this thing where he takes the ball overhand yeah. and it flies through the air with the greatest of ease. An unfamiliar sight in Statesboro. Oh, my God. Kyle Van Treese. <laughs> and the man that has the front row seat for it all, Danny Reed, the voice oh, wow. of the Eagles, joins us now. Welcome in there, Danny. Guys, thanks for having me. I appreciate you having me on. So uh, the first question I have about the game, it, it really has nothing to do with the game. What's the Ooh. status of the Eagle? Because I know pregame <laughs> – he got too hyped that he was like, deuces, I'm out of here. Well, he decided to take a right turn from the top of the press box. He actually landed on the street that separates the stadium from a local gas station, and they had to send a police officer over to shut down traffic on the street so they could go get him, bring him back in the stadium. Now, once they got him back in the stadium, I mean, he had his meal, he was fine, and it was all, he got the chance to see a great game and all that, but that's about the third or fourth time in the last couple of years where he has just decided to go off course. And since Jeremy's here, this is funny because last year when Arkansas State was in, it was one of the longer flights he's ever had. 
he went all the way around the Bishop Fieldhouse, which is down towards the west end zone, and he made a full revolution around it. And we honestly thought that he had crashed into the building, but then he ends up just appearing out of nowhere. I mean, the fans sitting on the other side could see him the whole time. He ends up coming back in, splitting the two flagpoles and landing right on Steve Hines' arm. Steve is the curator of the Wildlife Center on campus. And it was it was a pretty cool moment. But, yeah, he landed in the road on Saturday, and I guess it was a good omen because I think that's the second time that Georgia Southern's won when he hasn't gone from where he starts to where he's supposed to end. But it all worked out. Well, let me ask you this. What happens? Is there like a contingency plan, you think? If the Eagles should just take off, you never see them again? Is it like one of those things where the PR people get involved and and, and like maybe a, a stunt Eagle or a backup Eagle is brought in? What, what happens if that, that, God forbid, you lose the Eagle? There have been a couple of times. Once he ended up in the tailgate lots, there was another time in <laughs> When I was the announcer for the Citadel back in 2011, it was so windy that day that they wouldn't fly him. And apparently that's the one of the few times that they haven't been able to fly him outside of some rain or wind or whatever since they actually started flying him when the when the stadium got built. But our live mascot, Gus, kind of takes a cue whenever he's up there figuring out how much airtime he wants, how many fans he wants to greet. He actually got so low on Saturday that the upper part of the stadium, it felt like he was going to land there or give somebody a high five on the way by because he did a couple of go-bys, and then he ended up going out and landing on the street. But Gus, once he realized our live mascot on the field in the, in the suit and whatever, he just started sticking his arms out and flying himself and acting like he was landing, and the fans got a kick out of that. And The band, <laughs> plays, the band plays Final Countdown because apparently Freedom needs that song to get his – Juice is going proverbially, I guess is how you would put it. And once it gets to a certain part, that's when he takes off for the field. But whenever he decided to make the right turn, Gus just took it from there and he kind of did the little airplane deal and stopped and everybody, everybody got a big kick out of it. Nice. So then the game happened. Yeah, that was like. And, and, and Kyle Ventry just went off. What was it? 578 new school record what's going on down in Statesboro that they're actually airing it out? Guys, we've gone from a place where the quote is, there's only three things you can happen when you pass and two of them ain't good to being number two in the country in passing. He only trails Michael Penix right now, the, the transfer from Indiana to Washington. And to get used to an offense that has gone from 85% run to about 65% pass, they're running almost 80 plays a game where typically they're anywhere from 60 to 65 plays. It's, it's definitely been a shift and it's been a lot for people to get used to, but what it all boils down to is if you got more than the other team at the end of the game, it really doesn't matter what it looks like. And thankfully Georgia Southern had that one more possession in the fourth quarter. Derwin Burgess made another highlight real catch. He's done it all year long. And thankfully they got the stop at the end, but, one of the most fun nights I can ever recall at Paulson Stadium. It was really special. So why was it that that you were able to figure out James Madison, which to me was is one of the more complete teams in the Sun Belt. They 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 play defense well, they play offense well, they do everything very well. And then what happened with Georgia State, which is it's a bit of a rivalry, and you just never seem to really get going against Georgia State. What happened there? What happened against Georgia State is that the Eagles turned it over five times and gave up three 
five yards rushing and still only lost by eight. So you take one of those away or even just a few of the rushing yards, just they took themselves out of five different possessions and it would have been a much different game. They did that to James Madison and Kurt Signetti talked about this, I think on the press conference on Monday, if you go on the road and you get a block punt for a touchdown and you turn it over four times, you're probably not winning regardless of what your record is and what you're ranked. And yes, they were down by seven points with the football in the final minute, but he got pressured. Todd Santale got pressured. By the way, Todd Santale might be player of the year this year. He is absolutely outstanding. But thankfully, he went right to Anthony Wilson, took a couple of steps, slid down, and then one of the few times all year that Georgia Southern's been under center was the victory formation, and the celebration happened not too long after that. You mentioned James Madison, and automatically Shane Metlin appears for us. So welcome in there, Shane. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> um, so I, I think one of the biggest mysteries that we had coming into it was how was Clay Helton going to do this year at Georgia Southern, kind of as an outsider coming in with all the tradition. But really, yes, it's year one, but it's kind of year 1.5 that he had last year. How big was that last year where he kind of got to go through the motions and go through – uh, you know, a season without really being the head coach to kind of step back and evaluate. How did that, yeah. that help this season? He's talked about that all the time and how proactive Jared Benko, Chris Davis, and the hiring committee were in getting him hired with four weeks left in the season. Now, granted, the first game that he saw in person was a deluge of rain against Coastal Carolina where Georgia Southern got behind 28 to nothing. But to have him on campus for an entire month to just evaluate, survey, make notes, figure out what he wanted to do, what he needed to change, what kind of scheme he was going to be able to make work, how he was going to make it all fit within the framework of Georgia Southern's culture. And I think what helped him is coming from USC, one of the most recognizable brands in all of college athletics and having G5 experience at Memphis and Houston, two places that are known for success and passion as well. And he's also from this part of the country. He's from Gainesville, Florida, which is basically three hours south of here. His dad coached at Florida. They're really good family friends with Steve Spurrier. Kim Heldon's been a longtime coach in the NFL in Canada. He's been done doing it for five decades. But he needed that time to maybe figure out how the wheel was going to keep rolling, how he was going to keep the spokes on the wheel, and how this transition was going to take place. Because he has been pretty insistent that, look, everybody wants to focus on how different the offense is. And when you go from whatever option scheme Georgia Southern was running to this, but it's also the defense going from a 3-4 to a 4-2-5, there's been a lot of dime usage over the first seven games and on special teams. Georgia Southern struggled mightily on special last year. Now this year, with a dedicated coach in Turner West who has NFL experience, with a dedicated kickoff guy in Michael Lance who has been outstanding for Minnesota, Alex Rainers 12 out of 13 on field goals, Amari Jones has a 50-yard punt return. Georgia Southern consistently wins the battle of field position. And, oh, by the way, they just blocked their first punt of the season for a touchdown last weekend against the top 25 team, which ultimately helped save the game. It took a while for people to realize why change was necessary, but they went about it the right way. The phrase that's been used here a lot, and it's mostly been in regards to trying to raise money the the word modernization has been used and people have 
uh, tethered that to the football program because you've got the indoor practice facility that's getting constructed, but we're also breaking ground on a brand new convocation center. Baseball and softball have projects that are ongoing, and there's going to be more facilities projects that get announced in the near future. But the idea of modernization is to get Georgia Southern up to speed to keep up with not just the rest of the FBS, but the rest of the Sunbelt Conference, because what Louisiana has done, what Coastal has done, what App has done, Troy opening up a facility in the last couple of years. Arkansas State has some of the best facilities anywhere. I'd put them in the top 10% of teams all across the country. If you don't invest financially and you don't make that kind of commitment, you're going to get left behind and the results on the field will not be the results that you want. To put it that way, with the combined effort of Jared, Chris Davis, the deputy AD, the hiring committee, and Coach Helton's experience having spent the last dozen years at USC, they understand what it takes to not only build a program, but do it the right way. And if it had to be to run an offense where you're throwing it a lot more than what you're used to, if you've got a four down look instead of a three down look and for special teams, when you're trying to limit field position and you're not trying to lose games, you're trying to win games that way, which Georgia Southern just did last weekend. It is definitely taking some people a while. And when you lose it's well, it's not the way it was before it's not what we're used to. This this is besmirching their tradition or whatever you want to say. But I think in a better way, Clay Helton has helped add to this tradition because he truly wants to be here. He's got a love for Georgia Southern of someone that's been here for 10 years. He's so genuine in his interactions. There is a really special feeling between that staff and those players. They really want this because they know the place demands it. To them, whatever they've got to do to win, they trust the plan. They trust each other. And last weekend is just verification and validation about everything that they've done really from last November when he got here up until this point. And hopefully it just continues because I think that if they can continue that and continue to grow and find other ways to have success, they can take the rest of the season and go wherever they want to just by nature of how they do it. Yeah, that's a good segue into my, my next question. Uh, the, um, the expectations for Georgia Southern were, were kind of tempered uh, coming in to, to the opening. Now we're at midweek. Georgia Southern has some pretty good wins, a lot of moxie going into the next few few games. What are the expectations from the fans for this season? Not necessarily for seasons up to come, but for this season right now. Well, it honestly depends on who you talk to because there are some <laughs> who believe it's 13-0 and national championships, which, which is important. <laughs> you know, we know it's going to happen, but – it, it's not out of the question to reasonably think that Georgia Southern should win the East every year. And I know how tough that it is with what App has done, what Coastal has done, what it looks like JMU is going to do. Georgia State continues to improve. And, of course, with Marshall, if they can get some things figured out, they've got just as much talent as anybody else in the league. But for the rest of this season, you're four and three. You're two wins away from being bowl eligible. The league has not yet announced its sixth bowl tie-in, but I'm thinking that that's going to be coming soon. And the part of this that gets a little bit interesting, one, I know the league has five, could be as many as six full tie-ins, but if enough teams in this league show strength, then they could find themselves in other bowl positions. They could be selected for bowls that are outside potentially of what the ESPN events deal is and the five that we're dedicated to. So that's, that's something to consider if one of the other G5 leagues happens to slip at Conference USA, which I believe has seven bids already. If they would happen to slip a little bit, there's no reason to think that the Sun Belt wouldn't be looked at as a viable option to fill some of those slots. 
another thing is if you're Appalachian State, and I know that they played on Wednesday night against Georgia State, they need to win seven games to be bowl eligible because they played two FCS games this year, and you can only count one of those. So if they finish six and six for whatever reason, I don't think that's going to happen. But if they would finish six and six for whatever reason, they're not eligible for a bowl game. So they would have to finish seven and five to be eligible for one of those bowl slots. And if you're Georgia Southern, six should be enough to get you in because the fan base is going to travel wherever it is. They would look at this celebration after going three and nine last year. But simply by how this offense can get its yards and get its points and how exciting these games seem to be every week where it's been a one-score game in the fourth quarter, six consecutive weeks. I mean, the Eagles, I could see them doing a lot of damage down the stretch. I could also see teams figuring some things out, and maybe Georgia Southern still has some things to learn. But I would hope that a reasonable expectation at this point, as we sit halfway through Old Dominion prep week, is to be bowl eligible. I don't think that that's out of the question whatsoever. So going into this game against Old Dominion, uh, that should be an interesting contrast. You've got uh, Georgia Southern with that <laughs> unexpectedly, uncharacteristic, uh, awesome pass attack uh, guided by Van Trees. And then you have an Old Dominion team that statistically, if you look at total defense, they don't rank very high, but they're actually a very big takeaway team. A lot of bend, don't break. They give up a lot of yards. But they always give up a lot of touchdowns. How do you anticipate that game going? Yeah, they're fifth in the country in red zone defense, to give you an idea. Yeah, you're going to be able to go up and down the field probably. I'm not going to say it's at will, but you will be able to get your yards. But for whatever reason, a lot like defense, once you get into the red zone, touchdowns are hard to come by. Points are hard to come by. I, I would think this is going to be a pretty high scoring game, and that doesn't mean I lack faith in Georgia Southern's defense, but I do know what Old Dominion does well, and I think Old Dominion knows what Georgia Southern does well. They're last in the league in pass defense. But one thing that they'll try to counteract is the fact that they lead the country in sacks per game. They've got better than four sacks per game, and they just sacked Grace McCall seven times last weekend. That's an offensive line that doesn't give that up, and that's a quarterback that is known for being one of the shiftiest and sleekest in the league for avoiding situations like that. So I would guess that they're going to try to come after Kyle Van Trees with everything they got. But if you watch last week's film, when JMU tried to do it, Van Trees was able to find the gaps. He was able to use the talented receivers. He was able to throw to Jalen White out of the backfield six times. His touchdown was the go-ahead late in the third quarter with under two minutes to play. So I would think that Old Dominion with Blake Siler, they're going to have to find some unique ways to bring zone pressures and force Van Trees to see things that maybe aren't there. And then offensively, Georgia Southern's going to have to run the ball a little bit. I don't know if they can win too many games with 12 yards rushing, but it's nice to know that you can still do that against a top 25 team. And with the benefit of having the home crowd behind you, be able to do something like that last weekend. So enough of the gridiron, you know, basketball season is coming up as well. Georgia Southern picked in the lower half of the, of the men's standings there, mm -hmm. 11th overall. I'll tell you, last year watching Georgia Southern, they were a good team, but man, that was some ugly basketball to be played. What can we expect this upcoming year? Yeah, to be honest with you, Brian Berg would rather win ugly than pretty. He said if he could win every game. 49 to 45 he would absolutely love it it's just he, he he's bare knuckle he's rolled up the sleeves he's get down and dirty he loves to have teams that are predicated on defense keep the ball on one side of the floor 
classic Chris Beard style of defense. What hurt Georgia Southern last year, they couldn't shoot. They hit only 30% of their threes. And since they've been tracking three-point percentage, that was the worst three-point shooting season in the history of Georgia Southern basketball. So they tried to address it in the transfer portal. They went they got Ty Strickland from Temple. They got Tyron Moore from an outstanding junior college program at Moberly out in the St. Louis area. And also Jalen Finch, grad transfer point guard from Jacksonville State, who played the NCAA tournament last year against Auburn and scored 17 points against the team that won the SEC championship. He'll be asked to run the point in a starting role, but all three of those guys can run the offense in their own way. And when you pair that with a Kamari Brown, a Cam Bryant, and Andre Saversov, who's got all league potential on the inside. And somebody I'm really excited to watch this year is Caden Archie because he took a lot big old step forward final three weeks of last year. I think he discovered his jump shot. And he's always been somebody that's really good on the ball. Coach Burke has said that he could be the league's best defender if he can get himself in the right situation. I, I think this will be Bird's best offense. They'll, they'll be a team that can score 70 points per game just by how well they'll be able to shoot it from the outside. And if they can get enough stops, I, I think that they can also benefit from the most home games that they've had in about 30 years. Got 16 home games this year getting the bounce back from a Campbell, a Wofford, a Florida Gulf Coast, a Moorhead State. So this is this is a good situation to be in in year three, typically the year where you'd like to see the program get established and what kind of things you can really expect from a coach in year three. And I think that this is going to be his best team. You mentioned, you know, bare knuckles and you mentioned Ty Strickland. I know uh, his brother Terrell plays at JMU, and they have actually come to blows at times when they played against each other. I've heard. Um, so hopefully, hopefully they'll avoid that when they. Uh, That's the rumor, Shay. That's the rumor. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> great, great family though. Those, both those guys. That'll be fun to watch them play against each other this year. Well, I'm sure Mark Byington is very much looking forward to coming back to Hanner Fieldhouse this year, at a place where he won a lot of basketball games, about 20 wins a year over his seven years. And people say, well, he's not going to be really used to that visiting locker room. Well, you might forget he was at the College of Charleston when them and Georgia Southern were in the Southern Conference. So he knows the visiting locker room just as well as he knows the home locker room. But we'll get to that once we get to get to the season. Yeah. So we've had Jared Binko on. We've had Clay Hilton on the show. They all talked about taking the plunge in good old Eagle Creek. Danny, it's six years. Surely you've been baptized it's actually funny you bring that up because i have not been in eagle creek oh Whoa. no is that allowed not for my lack of trying yeah. <laughs> the peanut gallery is confirming well yes I've, I've not been in eagle creek i didn't know if that was the thing that the radio guy had to do uh, my predecessor i don't i know that he didn't do it and i'm not sure if the late nate hirsch ever did it but it, that that's a tradition that's kind of changed over the years the Irks guys were doing it at the end of the season sometimes and then for a while it was at the beginning of the season towards the end of fall camp and then it went back to the end of the season then back to the beginning of the season they did it this year towards the middle of fall camp and a special Sunday ceremony but no I, I I have not taken that plunge at that part of Eagle Creek yet so in other words we're all eligible to be the voice of the Eagles then since we haven't been baptized either right under that rationale, yes. If if you could find somewhere to live in Statesboro and, you, and you're up for the challenge, you you are more you are more than welcome. Well, Danny, I, I know we'll talk to you again soon because I know the Eagles are are, are soaring high. Hopefully, they're not going to make the mysterious right turn, as you said, of the Eagle. 
and uh, you know we'll be we'll be talking to you bowl game coming up here in a few weeks. Even it feels like if we can talk in a couple of weeks, if Georgia Southern's eligible for a bowl game, that would definitely be a successful year one under Clay Helton, and I think that that would do a lot to improve some of the morale around the program. It's, it's always difficult at a place that has won a lot when you have a losing season. It's only happened six times in four decades, but three of those have happened since 2016. It's, it's just a matter of trying to get this program back to where many people feel that it should be, but also being reasonable enough to realize that this league is a monster now. People want to talk about the East Division all they want to, but the West has – some really good football as well. And we're going to see that Thursday night with a game that may decide the West against with Troy and South Alabama. That's probably the best battle for the belt that those two have ever had since South has figured some things out with Kane Womack. But every week is going to be just put the gloves on and go figure it out. Hopefully you're ahead by the time the game is over with. And I think it's only going to get more and more difficult as this league keeps getting better. Well, that was a good interview with Danny from uh, Georgia Southern. Seems really excited about where Georgia Southern is going. You have can't to agree. He's never baptized. <laughs> I, does it, maybe is he really an agent for Georgia Southern, or is he a secret agent from somewhere else? I mean, quite frankly, it seems like anybody who is affiliated with the uh, the Eagles program would have to be baptized. Am I right, Shane? You know this part of the country better than we do. Is this a little sus, as the kids would say? I is yeah, maybe a bit. I I have to say I haven't been I haven't been to Statesboro. What I've seen okay. of that creek, I I can see maybe wanting to avoid it if I was in. But but yeah, uh, you know maybe it's just not an announcer thing. I don't know. I get maybe he doesn't want an infection. I get that. You're kind of avoiding that. But uh, that was some interesting input, too, about what happens to the Eagle should it get lost. That was kind of a nice, nice little bit of input, too. So a lot of answers revealed by that interview. And once again, it was a fun belt triumph. You know what else is a fun belt podcast triumph? Apparently loud music and a quiet shame. <laughs> No, we're going to fix that. No, it's it's a second and short. All right, you guys know the rules of second and short. We go, we go through the rundown of the upcoming games, and we keep it to under two minutes. Are you guys with me on this? Yes. <laughs> Tibbs, you will be representing the West. Shane, you will be representing the East. So okay. that's how I'm looking at that. So to start it off, Wednesday, we, by the way, guys, two uh, midweek Sunbelt games. Haven't had that all year. So it's two blasts of Sunbelt heat. I don't know if Nation can absorb it. We're going to find out. But that first blast comes Wednesday. Wednesday night, that's tomorrow evening, Georgia State at Appalachian State, 6.30 p.m. on ESPN2. Just kind of a sneaky rivalry game. I know Appalachian State pretends they're not a rival of Georgia State. They really are. Shane, what do you see out of this game? <clears throat> I'm just going to hit on that rivalry thing first. Okay. I think everybody in the East, maybe the whole conference, is a little bit of a rival of Georgia State right now because 
everybody wants to everybody wants to recruit in Atlanta. Yeah. And so I think there's going to be a little bit of that in the background of every game with Georgia State. That said, um, still haven't figured out Georgia State. No, no, what to expect from them one week after the other. You know, as we just heard, maybe their win against Georgia Southern is more on Georgia Southern's turnovers than necessarily Georgia State putting it together. I, I still do just, yeah, I just do not know what to expect from them. Appalachian State's a little bit the same way, but we know Boone's a tough place to play in. I'm going to go with App State in this one. You know, Shane, first of all, that Georgia Southern's not going to give any credit to Georgia State's defense. So yeah. I, I don't know what we can take away from Danny's uh, uh, analysis on that. Uh, do you think that maybe Appalachian State is a little shell-shocked right now? Is, is, is Chase Bryce and company... Are they are they are they on the struggle bus or are they are have they, will they have figured things out? <clears throat> they are, but I mean they've had I guess a little extra time to uh, make this about themselves, figure themselves out with these midweek games. Maybe there's something they can do with that. I, it's been it's been surprising what we've seen from Appalachian State so far, but you got to kind of think that the team that beat Texas A&M is still in there somewhere and it's still going to show up again at some point this year. The Tibbs, the Mountaineers are 10 point favorites going into this game. Is that, does that sound right to you? Or do you think that's maybe underselling the Mountaineers and Boone a little bit? I don't know. I mean, I mean, if you would have said before the season that App State going into the second half of the season was going to be next to last in the East, I would have yeah. said crazy. If you would have told me that Georgia State was going to be in the middle of the pack of the Sunbelt East, I would have said you were probably, okay, I'll, I'll accept that. But I don't know what to think of this App State team. They're hands down the most talented team in the league. They have the most star power. They have the most offensive power. They have the one of the best defenses. They just don't know how to put it all together after that AM win. Do they start this week? Maybe. We'll just have to kind of wait and see. And I, I really don't have a pick in this game because I could see App State finally putting it together and putting it on the Panthers. But then I could see the Panthers still just continuing to roll and winning their third straight game. Yeah, I can kind of see a seething Mountaineers coming away and running away with this game. We'll see. Georgia State has a really good defense, and they might find a way to mitigate Chase Price and company. So the next night, you know, that was like an appetizer, guys. The next night is the main course. Battle of the Belt. Troy at South Alabama, 6.30 p.m. on ESPNU. This was just sort of an amusing rivalry in years past. Now, the winner really shapes how the Sun Belt goes. I'm gonna throw this over to you, Tibbs. What do you see coming out of this game? A lot of defense, honestly. Yeah. And, and I know I caught flack on Twitter for not paying the the respect there to Carter Bradley. He did set a school record last week, <laughs> uh, throwing for, I think, 400 yards, maybe. <laughs> you did, deservedly so. It happens. <laughs> This is, this is really a great game. I give South a little bit of an edge because it's at home. I know that the, the wit is going to be rocking. But I'm telling you, it's going to be a fight to the end. I, I, I definitely think this is a one-possession game. 
Troy could go in there and, and get the win. And if so, as you said, whoever wins it is in the driver's seat of the Sunbelt West. So the Jaguars come in. Jaguars. Jaguar. J the Jags. Let's just go with that. Yeah. The Jags come the in with they come in with the 28th ranked offense. Troy comes in with a 32nd ranked defense. That's going to be a really good battle. Vegas says my, it gives uh, the Jags a three point edge. Shane, what do you think about it? I mean, that think? being yeah, that being the home bump sounds about right to me. I think yeah. I yeah, both of these teams have been impressive so far. I've liked what South Alabama's done all year, with the exception of faking a field goal at UCLA. <laughs> I mean, I've liked everything else they've done this year. They should be undefeated. They should be ranked right now. I'm going to give them the edge at home, but I expect it to be a really fun, entertaining game on national TV. That field goal is going to live on forever. <laughs> and it should. Yeah. You know, here's the thing, too. The, both these teams, they're just sort of fluke accidents away from, from being ranked themselves. So just a great game for a Thursday night, great game for the Sun Belt. I personally can't wait to watch this game. I'm going to make my kids watch the game. They're going to hate me for it. But so be it. They're going to see some great football. Saturday, October 22nd. Then we finally, you know, kind of get the Saturday action going. And it starts off <laughs> with another meeting against Army. Oh, my God. Yes. Army. So Arnie, Army's honorary Sun Belt this year, I believe. They might as well we join. They've played as many Sunbelt games as a lot of teams in the conference. And, and, and they still have one to go after this weekend. They have, they still have Troy to play. So ULM at Army, 11 a.m. on the CBS Sports Network. I'm throwing it over to you, Tibbs. I know you're a citizen of ULM, and I know that you believe in your heart that ULM is coming away with a victory. I hope so. It's been three years since they've won on the road. This might be one of the best shots they have to get that road win, and I'm hoping for it. And I think it happens. I think the Warhawks have just enough. They learned their lesson last week to play all four quarters, play all the possessions, and they get the win over Army and snap that road losing streak. You know, the the uh, the Black Knights, they've already lost to Coastal. They've already lost to Georgia State. Now you get a ULM that's who doesn't have a bad uh, rush uh, defense. Shane, the Knights are picked at minus or are seven point favorites in this game. I feel like this is an upset of the week. What do you think? I, I'm with you. I mean, I think you know the third straight national televised game we talked about on CBS Sports Network. I think it's going to be a good one for. Good one for the Sun Belt and for ULM. I, I think they're going to come away with this. I definitely think they're going to cover that seven points. I, I think they went out right. Yeah, you know what? That's going to be a great setting there at West Point, especially for you, Tibbs. I know that you're, a, you're also a citizen of the military. That's going to be a really cool game to see you guys, uh, your, your home team, fighting against the Black Knights at West Point, that small but loud stadium. That's going to be a cool game. That's going to be, in a lot of ways, just as cool as the Thursday night game with the Battle of the Belt. Hopefully it's just better than that 2020 game that was a straight whooping <laughs> of the Knights. Not the same Black Knights. The Black Knights have struggled a little bit this year. I think ULM has a great chance. Following that game, like um, I, I imagine they'll be deep in the fourth quarter. Uh, Army, ULM, deep in the fourth quarter. 
we're going to see Marshall at James Madison, 2.30 p.m. of ESPN+. Plus. Originally, if you, if you had looked at this game about four weeks ago, you might have thought this was going to be a game that determined the Sun Belt East. Now it looks more like a, a get-well game for James Madison. Shane, am I off on this? To some degree. I mean, I think, you know, JMU made a lot of mistakes last week. They they could have won that game. They could still be sitting there here undefeated. They're obviously not. Um, I don't feel like they've – that after coming from practice here earlier tonight, I don't feel like they're feeling like they have to change a lot of drastic things. They need to, you know, eliminate some of those mistakes, and they should be in good shape. Marshall has struggled, and I really kind of feel like Marshall's biggest weaknesses play right into JMU's hands. You know, they struggled on the offensive line. Um, you know, they've been a little bit inconsistent in their passing game. Even though even though they're completing a high percentage of their passes, they're not getting the, you know, kind of yardage. Um, and I feel like JMU is going to be able to move the ball pretty well against Marshall. I think this is a good a good opportunity for a bounce back game for JMU when you just kind of look at, at the matchup. Yeah, you know, Harry Columbi, Columbi, he got hurt. Now he's kind of going back and forth with Cam Fancher. You know, they have the 112th passing offense. I didn't really expect that from Marshall. Uh, uh, Tips, what do you what do you think of this 13-point spread for the Dukes? Too small? Way too small. They're pissed. They're hungry. <laughs> They're going to roll. Yeah. I'm afraid you're right. And I... I, I, for whatever reason, I have a warm spot for Marshall. You know, they beat Notre Dame, so I was expecting all this this, this great stuff from the thundering herd. And they have looked just god-awful in the last few weeks. I I know that, that Shane, that you're kind of being like uh, paying respect to the opponent a little bit there. But uh, I really do think uh, JMU sort of throttles Marshall just out of pure anger having been beaten by George Southern. Yeah, oh, I think that. Oh, go ahead, Jade. Oh, are we out of time? I just say, right, yeah, I think I agree with you. You got this. All right. No, I agree. It it fits into that. I think JMU should come out and play much better than they did last week. And I, like I said, I just think Marshall's weaknesses really play into JMU's hands on this one. Yeah, absolutely. Speaking of Georgia Southern, your old foe. Georgia Southern at Old Dominion, 2.30 p.m., ESPN+. Plus. We got to talk to Danny a little bit about this game. You know, I liked the Eagles a few weeks ago, and then they got beat by Georgia State. Then I disliked the Eagles, and they beat James Madison. So what are we going to see from this game, Shane? You've seen Georgia Southern first, and I think, I think maybe you've seen Old Dominion, too. What's going on? I, I It's hard to tell. Both of these teams are ones that I feel like are kind of getting it together. Um, ODU, like similar to what we talked about early in the season, why doesn't Georgia State start the season fast <laughs> ever? ODU's kind of getting into that territory too. I mean, they played a tough non-conference schedule, but, you know, um, they get into the conference, you know, first CUSA, now Sunbelt, and they start looking like world beaters. They're actually in first place in the East. I mean, if you look at it right now. That, that, to me, is pretty surprising. You know what was surprising? was Old Dominion. Was, I think they averaged 21 points a game, headed into that Coastal Carolina game, ended up playing a 40-pluser on them. That was pretty crazy. So Vegas says two points for the Monarchs against Georgia Southern. Ooh, is that... What you, Shane, is that... I'm, not, I'm sorry, Shane. Uh, Thibodeau. Is, does Vegas have that right? 
That's probably, a, it's, I mean, it's probably a pick em game. I mean, I sit there looking at it going, Georgia Southern looked really good last week. Old Dominion looked pretty good for what they had last week. And, and I think that they just caught Coastal kind of napping and, and sleepwalking through the game. I don't think that you could really pick one team over the other. They're kind of one and the same. It's, it's all going to be who has the ball last and who gets that one defensive stand. I do lean a little bit more towards Old Dominion, though, with the Ellie Jennings and Wolf connection. But at the same time, Van Trees, I think he just picked up another 100 yards there throwing since we've been talking. <laughs> Tibbs, that was excellent analysis. You know, I'm looking forward to seeing this bend don't break defense from Old Dominion going up against uh, Van Trees and his is a million yards per game type offense. It should be a good game. We're we're actually seeing a lot of good matchups this week. Here's another one. Although <laughs> I know I'm not sure what it'll result in the standings, but there is a lot of hate between the two teams. Arkansas State at Louisiana, 4 p.m. ESPN Plus. Arkansas State comes in having a hard time closing out games in the in the uh, in the fourth quarter. And the Cajuns are having a hard time running the ball, which is completely unlike the Cajuns. Tibbs, provide some analysis, please. Poco for the Cajuns. So you, <laughs> you got to think Dez is going to win his homecoming game. And, and I, I think Arkansas State's still trying to find themselves. And until they can show that they can play that, that fourth quarter, the, they're going to be in it, they're going to be close, and they're going to come up just short again. Yeah, and you know, that win in Huntington against Marshall was big for the Cajuns. Even though Marshall's not playing well, they really needed to get that win. But what has been really surprising to me is a couple things. One is that uh, Ben Woodridge, to me, has been playing a lot better than Chandler Fields. And I get the feeling that Woodridge, who I, I believe started getting more playing time against Marshall. I, I, it was, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up being the full-time guy. Chris Smith is also battling a hamstring injury. The starting running back for the Cajuns, that running, I think the Cajuns right now are the worst running team in the Sun Belt. From your perspective, Shane, it's six and a half points for the Cajuns. Does that sound about right? I think it does. Um, you know, Arkansas State, they're, I don't know, are they in trouble right now? You tell me, you're closer to this, Jeremy. I mean, this is the first week really since I started following the conference in depth that I've felt like, oh man, Butch Jones seems to be in trouble. People are turning on him a little bit. Like, am, am I reading that wrong? Uh, there, there's there's sort of two camps. The one camp looks at Butch Jones says, Butch Jones, your job is to rebuild this team through recruit, which he is doing. And everybody's happy with that. But one of the aspects of rebuilding a team is also rebuilding a staff. And more people are, are unhappy with the offensive coordinator than they are unhappy with Butch Jones. Butch Jones is still safe right now, but he really does need to make some changes uh, in the staff uh, in order in order for his, for his job security to remain secure. Yeah, it, it just seems like the inability to close out these games yeah. was acceptable at Memphis and it was understandable against a good JMU team and understandable on the road against ODU. That's a long trip. And it just seemed like maybe it came to a head where people were not really willing to uh, put up with it anymore this past week. No, in fact, I wrote a scathing article about it. I was super angry. 
I may be, I may be basing my opinion a lot on that article. I think I think I called it a shit show, and it was. Yeah. And I, I think the staff does understand that. But like I said, my primary, the primary goal most people have with Jones is rebuilding the team. Now, yes, we'd like to see some wins come from that, and that would be great. And my time has expired, but I'm going to say this. I think it's going to be a good game, and I wouldn't be surprised if Arkansas State digs deep with it, with it in themselves and finds the hatred to win this game, even if it is homecoming at the Cajun Dome. Or at, I'm sorry, Cajun Field. Cajun Dome's where they play basketball. Last game of the set <laughs> against two teams uh, that are, are kind of feeling themselves a little bit. Southern Miss, who came away with their first Sunbelt win against Arkansas State, versus Texas State, who not only beat Appalachian State, but then took te- or, Troy to the wire, should have won that game. They play at 4 p.m. ESPN Plus. Southern <laughs> Miss is a hot mess on offense. Texas State still trying to figure things out. I'm going to throw it over to you, Tibbs. What do you see coming out of this game? We talked to the Don earlier, so you got to go with the Don and know that the Bobcats are going to get the win there as well. He said there's a mystery rider out on on the Harley this week to lead the team out, and I think that's the difference to rally the troops and get a Bobcat win. Yeah, you know, Shane, the, the the Vegas Lions two and a half points for the Eagles, which I find criminal. I really don't see the Golden Eagles winning this game just by looking at what happened uh, at Hattiesburg. The, the offense is just a mess. If Frank Gore is stopped, you stop Southern Miss. Now, I know it's hard to stop Frank Gore, but still, you, there's not much there except for maybe their wide receiver, a guy named uh, uh, Brownlee. Who's, who's a very talented wide receiver, but they still can't settle on a quarterback. They still can't seem to get things going. Shane, this two and a half point uh, edge for the Golden Eagles seems way out of place. I want you to confirm it for me. I would feel pretty good about that line if we were talking about a game in Hattiesburg. I feel like this is one the home team is going to win, like regardless of <clears throat> regardless of where it's played. Um, so I'm going. I'm leaning towards Texas State in this one. I'm expecting it to be fairly close. So the line being close doesn't necessarily surprise me. But um, yeah, with Texas State at home, I would, you know, maybe flip that, make it a two or three point advantage for Texas State. Yeah, absolutely. I think you see a, a, a team uh, that beats Appalachian State in San Marcos. You have to believe that, that there is some sort of San Marcos uh, magic out there that the Bobcats are going to take advantage. Uh, 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 Tibbs, are you going to be at that game? It's within your vicinity. Oh, not. I am hosting a watch party for the ULM Army game in H-Town with the Alumni ah. Association. Oh, that's going to be great. It's going to be a great game. And that concludes second and short. It was another touchdown, gentlemen. Bam! Right. <laughs> we crossed the goal line. We are in, 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 in opposing territory, and we're pulling away. Congratulations to you both. Thanks for participating in Second and Short. And now I guess what, Tibbs, what do we call it? It's, it's, I always forget the cadence here. It's, it's parting shots, plugs, and promos. Good enough. <laughs> Tibbs, you always make us go first. You go first on that. As I said, hosting a watch party this upcoming weekend with the Houston alumni chapter of ULM. Excited to meet some more alumni in the in the Houston area, and uh, you know, obviously cheer the Warhawks on to a win. 
Uh, definitely watching the scoreboards as well, seeing how the rest of the West goes, and for sure watching Thursday night, the battle for the belt. <laughs> the battle for the belt is going to be badass. I can't wait to watch it. Shane, parting shot, promo, plug, let's hear it. Parting shots is going to be how insane everything is about to get in the Sun Belt. <laughs> we got, you know, the championship runs and all the small sports, including football, volleyball, both soccers and we just had basketball media day like women today men tomorrow that's right around the corner i don't know how we're going to survive november november is going to be a lot of fun but i don't know if anybody's going to sleep i'm looking forward to it and also dreading it i tell you what you know just looking at the standings for the sun belt just in football has been just incredibly entertaining because there's really usually, you know, like if you're in the Mac, usually it seems like things are decided after three weeks. You kind of know who's good and who's going to pull away. Or Mountain West can be the same way. Sunbelt is, to me, the most entertaining football conference you could possibly have. It's just a wonderful football conference to behold. I'm glad, glad that it's in that shape. I'm glad you feel that way, Shane, because uh, you're right. It, we're about to hit that crescendo of basketball starting, of soccer coming to a head, of, of, of women's basketball coming up. We are living in the golden time of college uh, athletics, and it's going to be great. I, I, I can't, I can't, I can't uh, stress that enough. My promo uh, plug and parting shot, I, I just have a promo. Uh, keep on reading howraiser.com. It's free content. It, uh, it, it covers Arkansas State, but also co covers the Sun Belt. We just published our, uh, our uh, predictions and analysis for this week's games. Go check it out. Uh, you can also see me at A-State Fan Rules uh, uh, on Twitter if you want to follow me. I, I, I'm a good follow. Uh, uh, wouldn't you agree, Shane? I mean, I provide some great information on Twitter. Wouldn't you agree? I agree. Yeah, <laughs> definitely follow him. I do. Go ahead. You can follow all three of us on uh, PC Podcast or uh, Fun Belt PC on Twitter as well, where we we uh, have extra analysis and polls and fun things to do. So check us out. Do we have anything else, Tibbs? Tibbs, do we have any other things to say? No, we're just uh, ticking along, and uh, <clears throat> I hope both teams have fun and go out and give one hundred ten percent. Absolutely. My name's Jeremy Harper from Howraiser. He's uh, <laughs> he's Dusty Thibodeau from the Warhawk Report. And the other guy is Shane Metlin from Daily News Record. Correct. Yes, I got, got it. it. You nailed it. Edit that out, Dusty.